0: Get out your fork, your cup, and your plate. Veg Cast. For the truly full menu of VegCast 68. Veg
1: Cast. A full menu from first to last. Veg
0: Yes, big goings-on here at VegCast for VegCast 68. As promised in the last VegCast, we have our interview with Heather Mills, uh, who is going to talk about her new venture, V-Bites, a vegan fast food restaurant that uh, she hopes to expand into a chain and hopefully eventually get here to America. We will also touch base about uh, some of those Questions that uh, came up at Summerfest about animal rights and uh, tactics and PR and so forth. Uh, We will also be spinning a tune from Jim James of My Morning Jacket uh, under the name, actually, Yim Yames. And we'll explain what's going on with that. Uh, We also have uh, some news that you'll hear right after. The, uh, the tag here that pertains to VegCast going forward. Uh, and, of course, we will also have a science fact, this one, about dolphins and their language skill. So, I've said it before, this one, however, really is a truly full menu. So, sit back, please, relax, and crank up your MP3 player as we unschool for you this 68th edition of VegCast. Okay, before we get to our conversation with Heather Mills, let me just tell you that VegCast 68 is sponsored by Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. This is a relatively new uh, frozen dessert ice cream type treat that uh, is actually seriously delicious i have tried it to several different flavors and i've enjoyed them you'll enjoy them and i hope that you'll enjoy our quick meet the sponsor meet luna and larry and get a quick look into the story behind luna and larry's coconut bliss okay we are very pleased to welcome our new sponsors larry and luna to vegcast of luna and larry's coconut bliss larry and luna welcome to vegcast
1: hi good to be here hi
0: It's great to have you. And uh, this is, of course, our Meet the Sponsor segment. We wanted to meet you, just get uh, a sense of what Coconut Bliss is all about. And uh, one of the things, of course, it's all about is coconut. So let me just start there. Why did you base your, your whole product line around coconut?
1: Well, you know, Luna and I both stopped eating dairy long and long ago for, you know, many, many reasons that I'm sure all your listeners are well aware of. And, uh, but well, we grew up loving ice cream, so, you know, we tried all the soy and rice ice creams out on the market, and none of them really satisfied us, and we actually didn't feel good after eating those either. I, we, tend to, we tend to get headaches or stomach aches, so we just wanted to make something that we could eat that we, would be really delicious and that would taste good, and Luna had done lots of uh, Thai-style cooking. It was very familiar with coconut milk, so one day she said, let's try making some ice cream out of coconut milk, and we did, and it was awesome. And I think we are both aware that coconut milk had many really wonderful nutritional properties and was a really healthful food. So we made it. It was great. We served it to our friends. They loved it. And after many months of doing this, uh, we decided, hey, let's you know make this available to more people, and we started
0: our business. Okay, and I can certainly uh, confirm having tasted a few of the flavors myself. Uh, it, it really does taste good. In terms of the health benefits, I'm not... Up on that, how, how exactly does coconut milk, we'll just leave uh, cow's milk out of the equation, but uh, how does it compare with, you know, soy-based products or rice-based products?
2: Well, coconut's been used um,
1: as a staple food in lots of places for a really long time, and people have done really well with it. And it's comprised mostly of medium-chain triglycerides, which is like a medium-chain fat, and that is kind of unusual in the food world. It's, it's found in, in human breast milk and not very many other foods. And it, it has um, a lot of beneficial properties that are, uh, like, antibacterial. And it also is balancing for your endocrine system and your thyroid. And it's, it's really been studied a lot more and more to be a really a great fat. And so we've been using it you know, in Coconut Bliss, and also we also take, like, virgin coconut oil and use that in smoothies and things like that, and it's just, it feels great. Mm-hmm.
0: And in terms of uh, the Coconut Bliss product, I mean, right now, it is uh, strictly an ice cream or frozen dessert type of uh, product. Is there, uh, you know, are you guys looking, are you going to be doing Coconut Bliss novelties? Or are you going to be doing uh, you know, just conquering the entire frozen dessert world, or what's the plan there?
1: <laughs> well, we actually have some coconut bliss bars, a dark chocolate bar and a naked coconut bar that came out just at the beginning of this summer. So oh, you do. they're starting to turn up in stores now, and those are just the same as the stuff that's in the pint, but on a stick. We have dark chocolate and naked coconut. Great. We have some more flavors in mind. As far as other... Products, you know, we have ideas for things, but at this point, we're sticking with uh, frozen desserts.
0: Okay, and um, just want to make clear: I get, uh, I've tried uh, a few pints from Whole Foods, have not seen the uh, the dark chocolate uh, on a stick uh, novelty thing there. uh, So I'm going to uh, go and start demanding that. But where else uh, might people look for Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss?
1: You know, our products are in around 1,700 natural food stores around the country. We're in most of the independent natural food stores and co-ops in all 50 states. We are in all the Whole Food stores. The independents are more likely to have a larger selection of our products. Whole Foods is a large company and a little slower to adopt new products. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have independents in your area, and most areas do, they will likely to have a larger selection. And there also is, on our website, there is a little petition form that you can click, print out. If they uh-huh. don't have the flavors you want, you can bring it to your store. And uh, we found most stores are very responsive to requests from customers.
0: Great. And that website, uh, we'll have that, of course, linked uh, on each of the, the podcasts uh, that you're sponsoring. But uh, if we can say it now to have it on the audio, too, that would be great.
1: www.coconutbliss.com.
0: Okay, and just uh, so people know, if they, if they think that maybe they're seeing all the flavors, but, you know, their, their local Whole Foods or whoever it is may not have all of them, what, is, uh, what are the flavors that you guys have available currently?
1: Okay, there's, there's ten flavors. There's uh, Naked Coconut, Dark Chocolate, Vanilla Island, Cappuccino, Mint Galactica, Cherry Amaretto, Pineapple Coconut, Naked Almond Fudge, chocolate hazelnut fudge, chocolate peanut butter. Wow. I think I got them all. And yeah, then in the bars, naked coconut and dark chocolate.
0: Yeah. All right. We're about out of time for a meet the sponsor segment. But, again, i got to say I appreciate uh, you guys uh, sponsoring VegCast and uh, look forward to uh, seeing what whatever happens. And best of luck to you. Thank, Thank you. you. And from the west coast of the United States, we sweep across the Atlantic to the United Kingdom, where Heather Mills has just recently opened the first of what she hopes will be a chain of vegan fast food restaurants. So let's fly over there now. Right now on VegCast, we are pleased to be joined by Heather Mills. Heather, welcome to VegCast. Thank you. You've uh, made a lot of headlines recently by opening a, a vegan restaurant in a former uh, fish house or fish restaurant over there in the UK, and I wanted to check in with you on how that came about and how that's going. So first of all, uh, has it been a, a long time dream of yours to get a, uh, you know, a kind of vegan fast food restaurant going?
2: Yeah, about seven years I replicated one of the fast food chains um whole produce, and took it to one of them and showed them how they could do exactly the same as what they're doing without destroying the planet. And uh, two of the second-in-commands were very interested, but the head guy was just, uh, you know, still on his high horse, believing that everyone wants to, you know, eat the flesh of an animal. So I just thought, well, the only way forward is to open a vegan fast food chain. And I was about to do it um, a few years ago, but then obviously... With my divorce and everything, everything had to be put on hold. So I developed these meatless meats. Um, First came about learning about them from Taiwan, but found out that most of the vegan meats that were coming over to the U.S. and the U.K. weren't labeled properly. They were saying they were vegan, but they had whey protein in them. Right. So I went over there and uh, investigated a few places and then taught them how to take the whey protein out and replace it with different things. And... uh, my main thing was the only way to actually get people to try vegan food was to actually feed them. Uh-huh. So I thought there's no short way around it. I'm going to have to open a restaurant. And there was a place next to my house that had been there for a long time. It was a bit of a salmonella city. It didn't get cleaned much, and uh, but it was right in the middle of a kid's park. So I kept asking the owner if he ever thought of selling. You know, I'd be very interested. And four years later, he finally said, yes, I'm interested. Okay. And then I bought it and ripped it all apart and put it back together, and just wanted to show people who had these preconceived ideas of what you know veggies and vegans were um, that you know we're not sort of smelly unwashed hippies who eat nut roast all day <laughs> we uh everyday ordinary people who are just trying to help the animals, the planet, our health, and many other different reasons right. and um I opened this place and there was a lot of controversy before it was opened and then people came down they were so blown away that eighty percent of the people that go there every day are carnivores because uh, we ask them and keep a record of data and um we get three thousand on average on a saturday customers we get one thousand seven hundred fifty on a sunday and we get between 700 and 900 customers every day during the week so it's completely packed out, and I do, like people get in the sushi restaurants, I do a travelator, but it's just covered with cakes and cupcakes, and that all goes round. I've got a creche area where um, the kids can interact with the screens and vegetables that float on the walls, so when you sort of touch it, you have to put it into a box, and it teaches you what each vegetable is, because it's surprising hmm. to me anyway how many kids, don't know what vegetables, you know, what the names are and how many kids don't even eat vegetables. So I've got that side, it's very family-orientated, and on the other side I've got like a hip, more evening restaurant area where in the evening I play black and white movies and stuff. So it's taken away that preconception, and many people have come up and said, you know, when I heard you were turning this into a vegan restaurant, I was very opposed to it, and I thought I'd just nose in and stick my head in. And now I'm hooked. I'm here every day, so it's going really, really well. And I plan to franchise that all over the world.
0: Well, let's uh, let's talk about that because, of course, as an American, one of my chief interests in this—and and we haven't said the name—it's called uh, V Bites. V is in vegan. Um, when uh, might we look for the first outlet in America, or even in North America?
2: Well, the most important thing with franchising is finding the right people. We've had a lot of interest um, from doing the from people who you know, say oh I'd like to open a place and uh, obviously people have different budgets and they can't just go and take a unit that's necessarily as big as the one I have
3: sure. so
2: I'm very interested in even hole in the wall places if we can get people to, to um, have like an equivalent of a vegan Starbucks where you get your cakes and sandwiches and brownies and you have your milks that serve almond hazelnut, quinoa um, soya milk as we do in my place to show people that there isn't just one milk on the planet.
0: Did you say quinoa?
2: Yeah, we quinoa have milk? quinoa milk, we have hemp milk, we have almond, hazelnut, wow. soy milk, rice milk. We offer eight different milks.
0: Well, I've heard of all the rest of those. I'd never heard of quinoa milk. That quinoa shows...
2: milk and oat milk. Yeah. Yeah, quinoa's great because it's obviously the best grain that you can put into your body because it's not mucus forming at all. Right. So the quinoa froths up Fantastically, it's more of a lighter um, cappuccino. So yeah, it's great.
3: Huh.
0: Well, you see, you're educating people there in uh, in the restaurant with the with the touch screens and everything. You've already educated me. I did, I it didn't occur to me. Of course, it's a grain. So why wouldn't you be able to make it uh, if you can make oat milk? But I'd never heard of quinoa milk. That's that's really cool.
2: You can make milk from most things, and obviously, it's just much better for the planet if we, you know, make them from grains and nuts than from you know, from animals. So um, my plan is just to really perfect this and then franchise in places like America and India. And what I realized was that I really have to own my own factory. Um, and there was a company that for many, many years I'd bought products from. And they, um, I, the uh, products were amazing. They were called Redwood, and they did a uh, great cheese and melting cheese, mm-hmm. uh, 62 other products. So... On vbytes.com, you can look at some of the products and also under the Redwood brand. We already import to 12 countries, but we've just started testing the Cheesley over in America. And since I've acquired the company, I'm bringing the price right down, so it's directly competitive.
0: And that's the one I, you just uh, made headlines uh, last week for... Uh, is that the same company that, I'm, that I saw yeah, that the news? Yeah, that's the
2: same company, and I plan to open a, a factory over here. We're just going to be doing... Um, a lunchable range for kids. And I'm also doing it in an ambient range because I've got about 200 of my own recipes because I've cooked for many years. So uh, the, the way that V-Bites restaurant works is it, we do um, Indian, Mexican, Thai, Italian. Um, and basically it just means when you say, where well, we're going to go tonight, your friend says, oh, I fancy Mexican. No, I fancy Thai. No, I fancy Indian. Well, you can all go to the same restaurant because mm-hmm. we do three dishes of each uh, cuisine
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, and then I've made that into an ambient range so that that can go into all of the health food stores and supermarkets that want it and right. people can just literally pour it on ready-made and it's got the, you know, the sauce and the meatless meats already there. You just warm it up and ready to go. The cost of shipping things from the UK and also it's not environmental... Um, you know we have a chilled range that that goes to twelve countries but oh, I see. in europe and um, as far as an ambient range is concerned it 's just the little pouches right. and they um, you know contain the vitamins and the minerals and everything within it, but it just means you can get them into all the health food stores because mm-hmm. trying to compete against these packed out chilled and frozen sections from these big companies. So filling them up with, you know, meat and dairy is is difficult. Whereas the ambient, you can get that onto a shelf quite easily. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a good way to go, just to get started. And it was a ready-made meal. You just cook your couscous or rice or quinoa fresh, and then you just pour the dish onto it, and right. it, it's ready to go.
0: This is like some of those uh, the Indian dinners that we might see exactly. at, at Whole Foods that exactly. have yeah. okay.
2: that kind of thing.
0: Great. Is that is that something that we might expect to see over on this side of the the ocean before uh, an actual V-Bites restaurant?
2: Yes, probably it would be in in the um, health food stores before that because it's, it's much more complicated opening a cafe a restaurant and getting it absolutely right because you need to make sure a certain protocol is followed and as you can see when you look at a number of the privately owned brands that I won't talk about that have coffee shops, you go into one and it's beautifully kept, you go into another and it's the toilets aren't clean the place is a mess mm-hmm. it's threatening health and safety so i have to really make sure myself and the team analyze the person and the good thing about franchising is that it's it's one or two individuals who really want and believe in trying to make a difference as well and uh, and they'll put their heart and soul into it as i have Mm-hmm. and um, and really be there and look after it and put across the right message of, of what great vegan cuisine is.
0: Right. Well, let me just um, backtrack just a little bit to when you were talking about developing the uh, the main kind of meat substitute. Is this a soy-based product or a seitan or what, what it – can you tell us anything about basically the composition of it or what's –
2: we have about 62 products, and there are a whole variety of, some are soy, some are wheat, um, some are mushroom-based. Mm-hmm. But I'm sort of looking into other areas since I've only acquired the place about four weeks ago. Right. The, um, the factory and the company have won all the ethical awards and, uh, you know, been at the top for the three years running. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they are the most popular vegan brand in the U.K., and um, we plan to make the same thing happen in the U.S. As far as um, meatless meats are concerned, there's probably only one or two that are any good in in America. They're quite far behind as far as quality is concerned. From everything that I've tried, and I've tried about 20 brands, and uh, our cheese um, is the best cheese, but there's probably one other... Um, company that are doing a really great cheese as far as melting's concerned, but the flavor is not as good. So there's there's very little competition for quality, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's what we plan to put out there. So we take away this perception of vegan things tasting like cardboard.
0: Right. Well, can I just uh, bring up when you talk about cheese that melts and so forth, and uh, we're talking about kind of mock meats and meat, meat <coughs> substitutes, Uh, Could I have you address the uh, perennial objection that why would vegans, you know, if they're against meat, why do they always want to make these fake meats and have them? Shouldn't they just eat nothing but, uh, you know, whole grains and fresh vegetables and fresh fruits? Why are they, you know, this shows that they really secretly want to eat meat
2: well you know there's there's two arguments to every story but but when I first went vegan, it was absolutely nothing you know twenty five when i was twenty five seventeen years ago it was nothing to do with um, you know the animals or having a problem with meat. It was purely to do with health. You get many different varieties of vegan you get um people who can't stand the taste of meat and they go to the ultimate health. Obviously, the real ultimate health to me is raw veganism. That is, you know, the best thing to be. But I'm not really interested in the vegans and the veggies. You know, the vegans are there, the veggies are halfway there. Mm-hmm. I, I want to convert the carnivores one day a week, so I'm not making the meatless meats for for um, the vegans and the veggies, even though there are a lot of vegans and veggies that still like the taste of meat. And it's it's irrelevant, the, the question of whether, you know, you're vegan, and you don't like meat; you don't like what meat stands for, right. not that you don't like the taste of it. Mm-hmm. you don't like that it's destroying the planet, that it's harming and Who says the word meat means animals you know I would call it more flesh mm-hmm. so um so it's it's you know it's a bit of a silly argument and 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 also when you get vegans come up and say, "Oh meatless meats they're processed and da 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 and they have these extreme views I'm like you know. Open your eyes and look at reality. Reality is you cannot take somebody who's a, a, a example of you know a Texan meat-eating shrimp, lobster, everything-eating person, straight to to raw broccoli. You just can't. Right. You know? So you have to take them in in the transitional period, and that's all I'm interested in because that is what's going to make the difference to the planet, uh-huh. not converting one or two people. To raw veganism, it's about getting people to eat like for like, making it easy for them, making it taste great, making it inexpensive. Taste is everything. So, from the research and the testings I've done over the years, like we have a gluten-free burger. So we dip into another area. You know, people that are gluten intolerant. Right. You know, yeah. there are so many areas and so many ways that if you if you manufacture the product properly. We get people with so many allergies come into the restaurant just so happy um, because they could be celiac or they could have a nut allergy, so we've got options for that. Um, So it's about ticking every box for everybody and, you know, kids with diabetes. We've got, um, you know, sugar-free cakes that we make with stevia. And so I've thought of, of every avenue, and I just think that the only way, and I always think of campaigns on a mass scale, the only way is to get to the mass market, and the vegans are so conscientious and aware that if they want the product, they'll find it, and they'll go for it themselves. You know, the vegan community and the veggie community, it is a community, whereas you don't get a meat and dairy community. (laughs) Prop 2 didn't happen in California because, you know, it worked for us, because there isn't a meat and dairy community. They're just, you know, money-orientated.
0: Right. Well, although uh, money <laughs> can form a, a tangible amount of power that uh, it takes a community a while to also reach. But,
2: uh, yeah, it does. It does. But, but you know, Prop 2 happened because the community came out and voted, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter how much money the meat and dairy industry put behind it, they still
0: didn't win. Well, let me—we're just about out of time, but uh, let me just ask you, since you brought up Prop 2 and— we had a, a little discussion about this at Summerfest in the animal rights panel about, um, you know, animal rights, whether uh, the best approach to it is uh, kind of a hard line approach. You obviously are were a supporter of Prop 2, and I, w- I just wanted to know, I mean, you're, you're out there doing this basically activism in terms of getting this food before people who might not otherwise taste it, and that's one form of activism right there. And I, I just wondered if you have... Um, if if you believe that there is you know there is activism that c- can actually work counterproductively because some people believe that uh, Prop Two is counterproductive because it gets people thinking oh well now the animals are being taken care of I can go ahead and eat meat.
2: No, I mean it's about continuing campaigning and, and the and the true awareness of any campaign that you do. It's when we got. 27 countries to, to ban dog and cat fur. That's not the end of the road. Uh-huh. you know. But what I did was I got the fur industry on my side. I used an opposition tactic by saying, look, it's not good for you that people think they could be wearing dog and cat fur in Europe and not fox, mink or sable. Well, of course, I'm totally anti fox, mink or sable or any fur, mm. but it's about creating something that's going to create a solution straight away and save 2 million cats and dogs. It's the same thing with how we got everything through in Strasbourg for the seal fur. Mm-hmm. So it's about setting up your strategy, sticking to it and following it through and not just letting it go and, and and not making it aware to people what the consequences are and what other areas need to be, you know, dealt with and eliminated. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, life is a constant campaign for justice and fairness and um you know, many things come along to test you along the way, but what I've found with all the campaigns I've done over 20 years now is that we always get there in the end and uh, watch out because v bites is going to be all over the planet and people are suddenly, just like they thought veggies were crazy 20 years ago, they're going to, you know, as as they now understand smoking is bad for you, they're going to understand that meat and dairy is just destroying the planet.
0: Great. Well, we look forward to uh, seeing v bites take over the world and uh, I mean that's that's certainly as I said one form of activism are you currently working on or planning other campaigns outside of uh, you know getting the food out there or you're pretty much focusing it completely on v bites for now?
2: I, I basically do a lot of campaigns behind the scenes I consult and advise a lot of um, different charities on how best to strategize things so a lot of the stuff I do stays out of the headlines and you can get a lot done quietly Mm. Um, and politically without making a big stink about it. and But sometimes you have to make a big stink mm-hmm. to to make a difference. So, you know, I'm just all into if, you know, the whole community come together and stand united. And it doesn't matter whether you've got money, haven't got money. You know, 20 years ago, I just used to go to work, use that money to do this, do that. And um, it just depends how committed you are. You know, I've put everything into this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I believe it's the only way. Because if you imagine, once people start reducing their meat and dairy consumption, their whole metabolism changes, their craving for what they want changes, and also their subconscious guilt starts to dissipate because they raise their head above the parapet and go... Oh, actually, I'm not eating that lamb or that pig or that cow in the field. Tell me more about it. Yes, I am interested. Right. You know, I just spoke to Richard Branson the other day, and he's so into climate change, he's now given up beef. And we're talking about other ways to um, minimize carbon footprint on Virgin and all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so, more and more people are waking up and seeing. And I recommend anybody buys the China study, Professor Colin Campbell, the most important book Mm -hmm. that anyone will ever read. And they will start to think, well, okay, I could reduce it one day a week. Right. And then suddenly it becomes two and it becomes three. As long as you make it easy for them and as long as you replace like for like, it's
0: simple. All right. We're about out of time, but I I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to, to talk with us on VegCast, Heather. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best for V-Bytes, and I will look forward to uh, when in Philadelphia or even, if I have to, to trek up to New York, if, uh, you know, I can actually go and, uh, and sample some of this myself.
2: So, okay, great. And you can go to v and order online for now.
0: Right, and we'll have that link, of course, in our show notes. So, Heather Mills, thank you for joining us on VegCast. Take
2: care. All the best. One, two.
3: Why? Wow.
0: That is My Morning Jackets, Jim James, uh, performing and uh, releasing this song along with five other George Harrison songs under the name Yim Yames. Uh, The six-song album is a tribute to George Harrison, and when you buy it, you get a T-shirt from Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary, which you may remember from vegcast 16. Uh, when we went there for the grand opening of Woodstock, um, a portion of the proceeds, of course, will go to Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary. And speaking of proceeds, let's proceed to
3: the science. Our Science Fact.
0: For VegCast 68 is Dolphin Body Language Follows Human Verbal Communication. This is a story in the Telegraph, a British newspaper, and I'm actually going to read the whole story this time because it's uh, it's pretty short. Uh, As a general rule, the most frequently used words in human languages tend to be the shortest. The same law applies to dolphins slapping their tails, diving, flopping sideways, and performing other movements when surface swimming. According to Spanish and British researchers, patterns of dolphin behavior at the surface obey the same law of brevity as human language with both seeking out the simplest and most efficient codes, said Dr. Raymond Ferrer y Canco, I believe that's the pronunciation, from the Polytechnic University of Catalonia in Spain. The law of brevity proposed by linguists holds that the most frequently used words such as the and but- are also the shortest. Dolphins appear to use the same linguistic economy in their swimming movements, say the researchers. The Creatures have a complex language that scientists are still far from understanding. Although dolphins communicate mostly by means of audible clicks and whistles, experts believe they also employ body language when swimming close to one another. Uh, And just to be clear here, body language, when we humans, I'm breaking out from reading this, uh, when we use the term body language, we mean kind of a vague way of uh, communicating or letting on certain uh, things that may be conscious or unconscious, whereas uh, here they seem to mean using the body to convey specific ideas intentionally. Uh, Back to the article, working with British colleague Dr. David Lusseau from the University of Aberdeen, Dr. Ferreri Kanko studied bottlenose dolphins living off the coast of New Zealand. The scientists found that each movement pattern made by the creatures could be broken down into one or more of four basic units. For example, the tail-slap pattern could be divided up into three sub-movements given the names slap, tail, and two. A pattern called spy-hop was made of the units stop, expose, and head. In contrast, the side-flop pattern only comprised leap and side while a movement dubbed tailstock dive consisted of only one unit, the dorsal arch. In total, the researchers counted more than 30 patterns of behavior and their related units. Dolphins were seen to execute many behavior patterns made up of just one unit and far fewer composed of four units. The findings are reported in the journal Complexity. The results show that the simple and efficient behavior strategies of dolphins are similar to those used by humans with words and are the same as those used, for example, when we reduce the size of a photographic or video image in order to save space, Dr. Ferrer Ikanko said. So that's the uh, the report on this study, and I, I don't have a lot to say about the implications of the study itself. We've long known that dolphins have some way of communicating that probably deserves to be called language, even though uh, many people, knowing that, still persist in believing that humans are unique in our ability to think because we use language in thinking. Um, but I, I wanted to just spotlight the headline, Often, Body Language Follows Human Verbal Communication, because uh, this gets back to something that I have said before about animal behavior studies. Uh, which is that we're still, we still seem to be handicapped in looking at animals objectively because uh, every measure that we have uh, to gauge how animals are doing in terms of intelligence or consciousness is just uh, ranking it against our own intelligence and consciousness. And I think that until we can get over that, we're not really going to understand animals all that well. And the verb follows in this case, dolphin body language follows human verbal communication, is just kind of absurd since uh, I think we can assume dolphins as sea creatures uh, probably— uh, you know predate humans the current concept of what humans are as a species so if anything the correct headline might be human language follows dolphin nonverbal communication but instead because <laughs> we're looking at it this way as with ourselves as primary in uh, both senses of the word uh we we ascribe this to the dolphin somehow echoing what we're doing. The dolphins may be being able to measure up to us rather than saying, well, where do we all fit in on some kind of objective continuum? So while these conclusions from these studies are, of course, helpful and uh, continue to build a picture of animals as uh, beings that are sentient and worthy of our moral consideration, uh, there, it's still not as far as we seem to think that it is. And once we get to that point of being able to really objectively uh, look at animal behavior in a prism outside of our own uh, experience, then I think we will really have what can truly be called
3: a... science.
0: Well, I told you this is going to be a real full-menu VegCast, and indeed, we are certainly racking up the megabytes, and uh, sorry for any download time anybody had to spend. Uh, But I do like to sometimes point out things that are going on in and around Philadelphia, and this is one of them uh, next Saturday, August 22nd. I wanted to pass on the word that there will be a permitted public vigil at Valley Forge uh, in support of the deer and against uh, taking any action against the deer. Uh, And you can read about that at the Friends of Animals website. We'll have that in our show notes. This is Saturday, August 22nd, 2.30 to 5.30 at Valley Forge Park, uh, Route 23 and North Gulf Road. So if you want them to leave the deer be, you can... Uh, go ahead and show up for that and talk to friends of animals to learn more. And with that, we are going to get out of here. Bench And that is VegCast 68. Big thanks to Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. No soy, no dairy, no comparison. It's the evolution of ice cream. Of course, I'd like to thank Heather Mills for uh, coming on to talk about V-Bites and vegan activism. And I would like to thank Jim James or Yim Yames for giving us uh, permission to play behind that locked door. I would even like to thank the Dolphins for teaching us about the fundamentals of of language, and I would like to thank you for downloading VegCast, and you know you can subscribe at iTunes, now get out there and live like you mean it.
3: VegCast!